Would you please open with me to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24, uh, verse 9. We're in the middle of what is called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, It's Jesus' teaching on his second coming. So to help you have some context as you make your way to Matthew 24, verse 9, Uh, Let me review the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 24. Before we do, I want to pray, though. Father, I want to thank you so much for being able to be here this morning and be in your word. I want to thank you so much for the comfort you give us in the midst of chaotic times. We pray that we would have perseverance and joy in the midst of suffering, knowing that you have told us beforehand what is going on. And uh, Lord, I pray that we keep our eyes upon you in the midst of the storm, all kinds of storms. And we just ask that there would be uh, many people that would come to know you and much fruit uh, through the lives we live and through your grace through us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in review, Matthew chapter 24 verses one through three say Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Uh, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not truly? I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he and his disciples sat on the uh, Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus had just made a shocking statement as they're leaving Jerusalem. They go down and they go up the side of the hill to the Mount of Olives on the east side there in Jerusalem. And the disciples are just trying to comprehend what in the world is going on. Jesus just drops his bombshell. You see this place, not one stone will be left upon another. The center of their worship, the center of their capital of Jerusalem, where all the people of God gather, it's going to be decimated. It is going to be gone. And so Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Peter's brother, they, uh, I think Luke tells us, maybe Luke or Mark, Um, They tell us that they go to Jesus privately and they ask him two important questions as they're trying to piece all this together. They say there in verse three to uh, a question with really two parts. Tell us when will these things be? In other words, when's the destruction of the temple going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Those last two are kind of one thing. When you come, it's going to enter into a new age. Now, as I mentioned last week, disciples did not understand. They didn't really have a clue of the gap of time between his first and his second coming. Uh, It says in Luke 19, 11, It says that as they approached Jerusalem, this is before they're entering to Jerusalem the last time. He says before they entered Jerusalem, Jesus had to had to tell them a parable because they thought the kingdom was going to appear immediately. That's their mindset at this point. They're thinking that Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and he's going to establish the kingdom that was talked that was spoken about by the prophets in the Old Testament right away. So Jesus, Jesus then tells them out of the blue, hey, listen, this temple is going to be destroyed. And so they're trying to put all these pieces together. Well, it's going to be destroyed. But so when's that going to happen? And when are you setting up your kingdom? What's the sign? How are we going to know all this is going to happen? They don't have a clue. And so Jesus has to answer them, but he does it in reverse in verses four through 35. So if you're looking down at your Bible, verses four through 35, that section is dealing with the signs that will precede a second coming. 
These are the things that will, uh, these signs will be um, preceding his second coming. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that right now. Four through 35. There's a lot more in there. But then in verse 36, he actually talks about the timing starting in verse 36. He starts talking about when these things will happen in more specifically. And then he goes on to what our mindset is to be in the meantime. Now, what Jesus does not address here is the accumula is the actual destruction of the temple. He doesn't address that here in the sister verse, the, the same account, but in Luke's gospel, he talks about the destruction of the temple in Luke chapter 21 and maybe in Mark at Mark 13. But what Jesus is focused on here in Matthew are the signs leading up to his second coming. So we're in the middle of those signs. And we went over a few of those signs last Sunday. So just to review uh, a couple of those signs, uh, because there is a gap of time between his first and second coming, Jesus is going to now talk to them and kind of give them some context here. Verses four and five, Jesus said that there would be false Christ. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first thing you need to know is that before Jesus's second coming, there are going to be false Christ. Jesus wants us to be aware that there are going to be many claiming to be him, many claiming to be the Messiah. And he tells his disciples and us not to be led astray. That's very important. He says, listen, many false Christs are going to come. And that means throughout the ages until he returns, there are going to be many false Christs. There have been, there will be, and it will culminate in the Antichrist in the end times. There will be many. Do not be, be, be led astray. And we talked about the, this last week that it's like, well, I'm not going to be led astray. Listen, there's going to be demonic, powerful signs and wonders that would deceive the elect if it were possible. This is going to be um, what happens is these people are demonically empowered, inspired. There's an allure to them that is beyond what we can actually comprehend. And so we wonder why people go after certain people in massive droves and there's a deception. Well, there's an allure to them and it's demonically inspired. We talked about that last week. But his return, he says, don't be fooled by that. And, and we'll, as we'll learn a little bit later, it's because his return is going to be unmistakable. As lightning flashes from the east is from the west. You will know when the Lord Jesus decides to come and rule and reign on the earth. When I say you, I mean y'all. Yeah, right. The world will know. And so there will be many false Christs leading many astray. Then in verse six, Jesus says, it gives us a second sign. He says, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Very important to know. So the proliferation of war will be happening and noticing it's, it's, it's local and it spreads globally. And then there's massive wars. You know, when you're, when you're a little tribe in Israel, you're not able to fight global conflicts, but nowadays we can fly a bomber on the other side of the earth. And so there's wars, rumors of wars. And this is why Jesus goes on and says nation will fight against rise against nation kingdom against kingdom. It's going to start local and it's going to become more of a global conflict. In other words, war is going to encompass the world to a greater and greater de de degree. And Jesus says that don't be alarmed when this happens. I mean, how many of us kind of get really alarmed? I mean, that's the natural response. But the alarm here has a sense like, oh, the end's here. How many of us, when something big happens, we're like, oh, it's it. You know, 
It's the end. <laughs> We're done. Well, Jesus says, don't be alarmed because these things must happen. And we went into Nebuchadnezzar's dream last week where he had the picture of the man with the different metals and those representing kingdoms that would, would take over other kingdoms and other kingdoms and other kingdoms that would lead to a final kingdom of men that would be taken over by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ on that day. So he says, these things are going to happen. This is the way it's going to go. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Then in verse seven, two more signs that kind of flow out of, uh, well, he says nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Uh, sorry, a few more signs. So again, that global conflict, uh, multitudes of people and Kings going back and forth and that kind of thing. And then famines, and Luke adds pestilence. And so normally what follows war is a lack of food, a lack of supplies of things. And then pestilence, meaning diseases and all those things and epidemics and all that kind of stuff. My guess is some of it's man-made, some of it is is natural, or some of it's the caused by horrible conditions because of war. We already know this throughout history. These things happen. But that will be a sign before his return and also earthquakes in various places. And so there will be earthquakes happening. Um, But again, these things will happen in various places. And he's telling them, don't be alarmed when these catastrophes happen that seem like they're they're out of control. That's not the end, because there is going to be an earthquake that will level the world at the very end before Christ returns. And. So we went over these last week, last week, and we ended on verse eight, which puts all of these signs and the signs we're about to read about in context. Um, In verse eight, we ended by saying, and all these, Jesus said, are but the beginning of birth pains. All these, the things he was just talking about, the things he will talk about through verse, verse 35, these are the beginnings of birth pains. And so what Jesus seems to be indicating to us is that these signs will be going on to some degree in an increasing fashion and intensity until his, until his return comes. But he says there that they are the beginning of birth pains, the beginning of sorrows as some of your translations say. And so like when a woman goes into labor, there's going to be a point at time, a sudden Labor that contracts the world, a sudden, quick, giant contraction of these things that will come upon us. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you all. (laughs) But I mean, that's my interpretation of when I saw my wife going to labor. So I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is sudden and crazy. What's going on here? But there's going to be a sudden and noticeable intensification of these signs upon the world. And that spiritual deception is going to be greatly intensified. The false Christ are going to be coming out of the woodwork. Very quickly, there's going to be massive spiritual deception. The wars are going to rage. The famine is going to be all encompassing. The pestilence is going to be everywhere. The earthquakes and the things that we're talking about will suddenly, we're going to talk about, will suddenly come with great intensity and greater frequency, like a woman giving birth. This is what Jesus wants us to know. And it will be like, Unlike anything the world has ever known, anything the world has ever known. And when that labor ends, it will result 
in the return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the birth of his physical kingdom on earth. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And so when Jesus is really zeroing in on here in these signs is a time called the tribulation. That's, that's what's undergirding this in, and kind of, if you, if you remember the idea of prophecy is, is a prophet would give up a prophecy and there would be a near fulfillment, right? But then all of a sudden, as you're reading those prophecies, it's kind of like, whoa, this is bigger than just that near fulfillment. Something bigger is happening here. Like when you're reading Luke in Luke, when he's actually talking about the destruction of the temple, you can see he's talking about the destruction of the temple and it seems like a near fulfillment, but all of a sudden it's global. It's bigger. It's larger. And so too, with each of these things, there's a near fulfillment that the disciples would have experienced. They would have experienced all these things in their lifetime and we will, but there is actually a fulfillment, a heading, a a, a time when all of these are going to come to their climax. It's just going to be the, it's going to be like giving birth. That's what he's saying. And, And he's pointing to the tribulation, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And it means that word tribulation, by the way, it means a pressing, a, a pressure, that brings about suffering and anguish. That's what the word tribulation means. And so it's a vice that keeps on tightening and it doesn't let up. It keeps going and going and going until the crushing is at its immense pressure. That's the idea of the word tribulation there. And so if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do in first Thessalonians chapter five, one through three, Paul says this regarding that time, the time of the tribulation. He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to uh, have anything written to you. I'm like, yes, we do. (laughs) He was there with them and he taught them personally. And that's what he's saying. So he's reminding them of what they already know. But he says, you have no need for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Notice that word day of the Lord. While people are saying there is peace and security, then what happens? Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Same terminology, same imagery, sudden destruction like labor pains is what he's saying. And they will not escape. Notice Paul calls that day of tribulation. He calls it the day of the Lord. Now, if you go back to the prophets, they would, and the minor prophets specifically, they would be talking a lot about the day of the Lord to Jerusalem. There's a day to to Judah and to Israel, the the two, you know, the North and the South of Israel, when they got divided, there would be prophets sent to them. They say, listen, the day of the Lord is coming for you. You're going to get destroyed. This is happening. So there was a near fulfillment of that. But if you flip over to Zechariah one uh, chapter one verses 14 through 18, I'll just give you an example of this. This is how Zechariah describes the day of the Lord or Zephaniah. Sorry, Zephaniah 14. I'll read it for you. Okay. This is the great day of the Lord is near and, and, and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. 
The mighty man cries aloud there a day of wrath. That is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they will walk like, like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung neither the silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on that day of the wrath of the Lord in the fire of his jealousy all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all inhabitants of the earth the day of the Lord the tribulation, the sudden pain that comes on the world. It's been spoken of over and over and over and over. This is what we avoid in church today. This is, this is what the church avoids like anything. Cause people don't want to hear about this. You don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. Anybody? I don't want, it's going to get better in lollipops and candy. And it's just, you're, No one wants to hear about the vice. No one wants to hear about the things getting worse. And nevertheless, that's what's coming. Like the days of Noah, when the ark was being built, he was calling the world to repentance and they would not turn. And then there was a day when he got into the ark and God shut the door and no one was getting in and the world was destroyed. That's what is coming upon this world this time um, not with water, but with fire. And that's in the very end, but this is a horrible situation upon the world. So when we preach Christ, he is salvation. He is the boat. <laughs> He's the one we run into to be saved. And so, you know, who's, who's he, who's this going to come upon? It's going to come upon all mankind the ones who have denied the Lord, the ones who reject him. And like a pregnant woman, these things are going to come upon the world at that time, the day of the Lord, sudden destruction. Notice the language, a day when sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, Paul says, and they will not escape. Zephaniah says this marvelous passage. And by the way, uh, if you go into Zephaniah chapter two, it's a call to repentance. Right after the, ju- the, the pronouncement of judgment, he says, gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before uh, there comes upon you the day of anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble the land who, who do. And he goes on and on and on. He, so there's a call. There's a cry from God to say, come to me now. And that call is right now. And it's still going on. And so if you want an in-depth of these labor pains that are going to go on, if you really want to see what is going to happen blow by blow, you, you flip over to Revelation chapter six and you read chapter Revelation chapter six through 19. And what you see is three consecutive judgments. And I'm not going to go through it right now. Ladies, you went through it this past week, three consecutive judgments that God pours out upon the world. And basically they're in the form of a scroll and a bowl and, and uh, my goodness, trumpets. Thank you very much. And each within each one of those 
are multiple iterations of the things we're talking about here as the, of these signs. And so they're going to come in rapid succession, each worser than the next upon the world. That's what revelation speaks of in chapter six through 19. And it will end with the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that that this intensification is going to happen suddenly and more frequently when that time begins and they're going to be like labor pains. So as we pick up in verse nine, finally, (laughs) it gives us some more signs. We're only going to get through two today because they're very important to us. They're very important. I wanted to squish them all in, but these are, these two are super important to us, especially where we are in our time in the church. Look at verse nine. In addition to false Christ and wars and rumors of wars and famine and earthquakes, it says in verse nine, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Another sign of the soon coming of Jesus is an intensification of persecution an intensification of persecution of believers. One way that we know that the end is near is that there is going to be more and more and more persecution and hatred of believers on earth. That's the way it's going. Jesus said to his disciples that they would be delivered up to tribulation and put to death. The word there for tribulation, as we just spoke about, it's the, it's the word philipsis in the Greek. It's the same word used about the tribulation that God will bring upon the world, but the world has their own tribulation that they're going to bring upon us. Does that make sense? The world is going to bring tribulation upon believers. And God is going to bring his tribulation upon the world. Guess which one is going to be more thorough? As already mentioned, it's a pressing. It's a pressure that brings about anguish and affliction. This is a promise. The world is going to bring about tribulation, oppressing, a crushing, and anguish upon believers. That's what they're going to do. Jesus tells us beforehand, he wants you to be ready for it. Jesus says that to deliver you up, talking to the disciples, up to tribulation and to death. In other words, the world has its own tribulation. And we know that the the apostles were persecuted and they were persecuted unto death. We know this. And again, there's that near fulfillment and then the far fulfillment. So Jesus is speaking to them. I want you to know that this is going to happen. And Luke's gospel, by the way, says before all these massive things happen in the end, this is going to happen to you. And so they need to know what's going on. We need to know what's going on before the end. This is what happened to them. They were persecuted. We have examples of that, like in Acts 5, where James and John were preaching and uh, they were grabbed and they were Put, they were pulled in by the religious leaders there and they were beaten and they were told not to preach in his name and all these types of things. Acts 5, 17 through 42. Obviously, Paul was jailed. He talks about it in his kind of um, 
you know, he's boasting, so to speak. He's, he's given an example of how not to boast. So he tells you everything he can boast in. And he talks about all that he went through in second Corinthians 11, 23 through 24, that he was stoned so many times and he was beaten so many times and he was shipwrecked and all these things. Paul went under massive persecution. Paul describes the life that he and his companions lived in service to God in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, where he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. This was Paul's life. This is how he lived in the face of darkness as he went out preaching the gospel. Jesus said to him, I will show you many things you must suffer on account of my name. And so there was a constant tribulation upon the apostles as well as the church. The writers of the Hebrews sought to encourage the church. Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. He says this, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, when you came to the Lord, you were enlightened and you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. In other words, man, when you came to the Lord, there was a cost that came with it. The world didn't like it. And those Jews that were around them, they started to persecute them heavily. He says, you and, and, and those that, uh, fellow believers, you were with them together. And then he says there, he, he goes on and says, for you had some compassion for you had compassion on those in prison. In other words, they were being imprisoned for this. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. This is what was happening since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession in a, in an abiding one. In the midst of their suffering, in the midst of the persecution, the hope that they had, the reason why they could endure is because they knew this was something better than all your stuff getting taken out of your house. They accepted it joyfully. Not they were happy about the fact that people were plundering. They were happy in the fact that God would make good on his promise. You see, faith prevailed in the midst of it. And they looked beyond this life to all their accoutrements they had. And they just said, listen, God's got something locked for us that can never be taken away. I think you can read about that in one of the epistles. Secured for you by God, an inheritance won't be corruptible, can't be taken away, can't be stolen. They can't come plunder it. They had their eyes fully fixed on Jesus. And then in Luke's gospel in chapter 21, 12, Jesus says, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before Kings and governors for my name's sake. And that's what we saw in the book of Acts that we saw with Paul. As it happened to Jesus. So it happens to those who follow him quite often. And we read about how, and we read about how the apostles were all, were all martyred except for John, who Jesus said he wouldn't be martyred, but uh, they were all persecuted. They're all martyred. You read Fox's book of martyrs and it records how so many in the early church were just absolutely tortured and slaughtered, thrown to lions, all these types of things. 
for following the Lord Jesus. And it's gone on the same throughout the ages. I mean, today the church is under persecution. I think open doors, brother Andrew's group, um, you know, 360 million Christians are being persecuted just like in 2020. It's an estimate, you know, something like 6,000 Christians a year are just being killed that they know of, you know, and then there are places that aren't recording anything. So this is real. And Jesus told his disciples they'd be persecuted and they'd be hated by all nations. Why? Because for his namesake, because they bear his name. Listen, a Christian isn't like, hey, I went to church. I went to CCF. Check. You bear his name. That's that's what a Christian is. He's, he's in you. You're in him. What he loves, you love. What breaks his heart breaks your heart. What he cares about, you care about. How he lived is how we live. What he says is truth is what we believe is truth. Regardless of the culture around us, we bear his name. You know, when it says, don't take the name of the Lord, your, your God in vain. It's not just don't say his, you know, his name. Don't say, you know, Jesus Christ in a bad way. Right? What is it? It's to live contrary to Jesus Christ. So the reason they hated them is because they bear his name. The reason that they will hate you is because you bear his name. And the question begs, what? What would be the question there? Do I what? Say it. Do I bear his name? Jesus would speak to them again during the final week in the upper room. Listen, this is the final week we're taught. We're reading here, but he's going to go maybe in the upper room, but he's going to go up there and he's going to talk to them. And he's going to say this in John 15, 18 through 19. He says, if the world hates you, Know that what it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, are you of the world? If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you because you're mine. Because I bought you, because I'm in you, because you are my kid. You're not of the world anymore. That's why they hate you. And so if you're getting along with the world, we're called to get along with the world or to do our best to walk in harmony with everyone and uh, everyone around us. There's verses like that. Obviously, I can't. I had it earlier, so I'm not there. Humble moment. So do our best to work, be at peace with all men, right? But what happens when there is no persecution, no resistance from the world around you, nothing, nada whatsoever. They love you as your own. We've got to check our citizenship. We've got to check our allegiance. We've got to check. Not that we're instigating. You know, Peter says, let none of you suffer as an evildoer or as a, you know, murderer or all these types of things. Not whether we're doing all that. 
but are we shining? Are we following Jesus? Is his light emanating from us in such a way that as we follow him and we bear his name, it shines light in the darkness. The darkness doesn't like it. And the light and then and the darkness starts to give us that tribulation. And like the apostles and countless believers after them, we are to expect and to receive tribulation from the world in varied degrees. And we can expect them to hate us if we truly bear his name. Not that we want them to hate us. That's not it. Not that we're acting in a way to instigate. That's, we got to make sure we're not like that. That's not how it was. But there's just a, as we walk in the light, the darkness can't help but react. Because we identify as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Is that your identity? Because we no longer go with the flow of the world's wisdom and philosophies and sin. In us or around us. Because Jesus is Lord of our lives. And it is God who created the heavens and the earth. We did not from, come from goop or monkeys. We didn't. It's a lie. Oh, do you feel the ire of the world already? How dumb and uneducated you are. And we were created in his image, both male and female. And that's why marriage is holy and sanctified. And it's only between a man and a woman. Because it reflects him. And he designed it to where the two together reflect him in his creation and death is the result of sin against God, not a natural, nat natural process of evolution. That's what the word says. And God now commands that everyone must repent and believe upon his son to be saved from the wrath of God that is coming and righteously. So Everyone must repent. He commands me to repeat, cause all the world to repent and to believe upon the son. And because he loved the world so much, even in the midst of our nonsense, he sent his son to die, to redeem us and to save us. It's amazing because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. There is no one. There's no one other. How narrow minded can you be pastor? I pray I am. The way is narrow. The way to hell is wide and broad. And many go down it, but the path is narrow and few find it. Jesus is it. And as is redeemed, we're not to embrace and celebrate what Christ died to save people from. You're not to do it. We're not to celebrate. We're not to embrace. We're not to capitulate to what Christ died to save us from. Does that make sense? We don't get along with the world in those areas. There are lines because we bear his name, his glory, his heart is more important than anything. And his love does not com compromise his truth. Very important to know. And can you feel the heat being turned up against you in this culture? As you actually stand with what the word says, you stand with what the Bible says. Do you feel the heat of the culture being turned up on you as it is becoming more and more and more godless and pagan and 
and all the Christian uh, accoutrements are falling off, have fallen off. They're gone. Do you feel it? Do you feel the pressure to give in and to say what they say about all these things and to do what they do and, and to go the way they want to go? They will hate us. They will persecute us and they will even seek to take our lives. That's where it's headed. And when the tribulation begins, <laughs> and as many believe that the church will be removed and the retaining work of the influence of the Holy Spirit is no more. When the Holy Spirit takes his influence out of the world or is withholding evil from the world. What do you think is going to happen then? To this hatred and this persecution, it is going to be like birth pains. It's what's been going on since the beginning of time from Abel to Zechariah between the altar, right? To Jesus, to the apostles, to all of our brothers and sisters, it's going to be intensified and it's going to come to believers who are alive at that time with a vengeance as probably the 144,000 are a part of that proclamation of the gospel as the two witnesses are proclaiming the gospel. And there might be a massive revival of people believing in Christ once again, and they're all going to die. Every single one of them is going to die. So revelation lays out, they're all going to be, Martyred as the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet, as the beast makes war with the saints and will kill every one of them. Read Revelation 13 if you want to read more on that. But just a word of encouragement. <laughs> yeah, I just want to give you the bad news before I give you the good news, right? Yeah. The writer of Hebrews sought to encourage those believers who had undergone persecution. He says, and, and I read this already, but Hebrews 10, 32 to 34 says, but recall the former days after you were enlightened, you endure hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who so treated for you had compassion on those in prison. This is important. Because when you get to Matthew chapter 25, he starts talking about who are the sheep and who are the goats. For you had compassion on those in prison. It's not just prisoners. It's those who are in prison for the gospel. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You have a better possession and a remaining one. You have it in Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes on it now. Lest when it comes, your heart be broken and you weigh yourself down with drunkenness and dissipation as Jesus warns in the other things. One more, Jesus said in Matthew 10, he's sending the disciples out and he sent his disciples out for the first time. And he said to them in verses 28 through 33, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. They've got their tribulation, but God's got his. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Listen, take this to heart. These words are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You are of more value than many sparrows. Do you know how much God values you? Let's just say more than many sparrows. That's, that's a figure of speech for there is just incredible value upon you. If he knows what's happening with the sparrows, he knows the persecution that you go under. He's got your days numbered. He's got you in his hands. Don't fear man, fear God. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who's in heaven. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, what's he talking about? When it comes time to decide, what do you do? Who do you acknowledge? Choose now. Jesus. So how do you acknowledge him? You bear his name. Where do you bear his name? Always and everywhere. When you're in the diversity, equity, inclusion conversations at work, where do you bear his name? Bear his name there. Oh, but you're going to suffer. Yes, you will. That's not the main, main fight. I'm just giving you an example of what's going on. There's a pressure to give in, capitulate, to not be who you are. Be who you are. You're believers. You're his. Look beyond the moment. Look to him. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He will pull you through. He will strengthen you. And so they strike you down. You have glory, absolute glory ahead of you. He promises it. Did he say, if, if he said that if you believe in him, you'll have her eternal life. Do you believe it? Yeah. If he also said that he has, you have an inheritance waiting for you and not to worry about all this stuff. Do you believe it? Well, how does that translate into your daily life? Live boldly for him. Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father is who's in heaven. And that's the sheep and the goats. Believers believe and we live and we bear his name. Unbelievers don't. And that leads to the second one, which we're not going to get into. I only got one verse, <laughs> but these are important. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Why do you think that's going to happen? Because they received the gospel with joy but they had no root in themselves. And when the heat came, they gave up because they were being persecuted on account of the word, the name they bear, the truth they bear, they're supposed to bear. And it wasn't in them. It was a facade. So persecution, it has a way of purification and it also causes apostate 
apostasy. And that's the second, that's another sign. We'll get into that next week. I know it's slow, but these are important because this is what we're coming to right soon. And now persecution, apostasy and apostasy happened then. And there is going to be a great falling away. Then when the heat is truly brought upon us, are you ready? How do you get ready? Put your eyes on Jesus this week. Is he your Lord? Is he your savior? Is he in your life? Get sin out of there. Just confess it, abandon it and let the joy of the Lord be your strength this week. Amen. Lord God, thank you for your word. It's sweet. It's sharp. It cuts, it heals, it revives. You are everything we need in this life. God. just manifest your good presence to us, Lord, in these times. Help us to have joy in a perspective that is beyond this superficial world's ways of looking at things. Maybe we be serious about you in these times, Lord, as you have been so serious about us. May we love you with a greater intensity. May our love not grow cold but be all the more as we see the day approaching. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you that you've brought us to it. And we ask Lord that many would repent and be saved and enter into your kingdom, the everlasting kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Lord bless you all. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, huh? Need prayer. I'm here for you. Got to talk things through. Elders and I are here. God bless you.